the spirit with which you guys lead. Just do, I do. So can you believe it is Saturday night? How does that happen? I know, boo, boo, yeah. That's what I say too. It's so, been such a good, good weekend, and I enjoyed just sitting on the beach with some of you this afternoon and talking and just hearing the conversations, and it's interesting from when everyone gets here on Thursday night and then just how the conversations get richer and richer and richer, and, and I know that God's just listening in on all of them, right? He's right in the middle of those conversations, and He's, he's loving them too, and and you know, that's the thing, when, when God breaks open the eternity in our lives, that more life, it, it doesn't just affect, you know, us for heaven or for, you know, just in a, what we would call a spiritual way, right? I mean, it affects everything. It affects the way we talk. It affects the way we relate to people. It affects everything, that more life that he really wants um, to give us. And tonight, what we're going to do is move on to our next word which really has a lot to do with the more, and it's talking about the value. We've done vision, we've done vessel, and now we're going to talk about um, value. I don't know if when you were in elementary school, math class, does anybody remember back that far, right? Um, and you learned about these symbols. There was one that was called greater than, and there was one that was called less than. Now, for me personally, I am not a math girl, okay? Um, and I, so I had a hard time in math a lot of times. But it always seemed like to me there was some confusion about which symbol was supposed to be which. And it, it might have just been me because, like I say, I'm not a math girl. But there was just this com confusion. See, to me, this was, this was the greater than symbol. And some of you might go, ah, that's less than. And then this one was was the less than symbol. But sometimes other people would say it was the exact opposite. And that would just really frustrate me because I would think that I would have it figured out and then it would be like, ah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. But I did know the idea that that meant that one of the things was supposed to be more valuable than the other. And if I could just get the thing pointing to the right one, you know, then maybe I'd get the, get the answer right on my test. But the idea was that you were supposed to be able to say, you know, eight is greater than two, right? And so we, we, in our game, we were able to do that, right? We were able to know that four was greater than two. You guys did so good on that question, right? Or that... Now, this one's a little harder. 10,000 is less than 20,000. You know, I mean, we, we, we know that. Or 25% is less than 75%. You know, when we go into a, into a store and this is the 25% off rack and this is the 75% off rack, which rack do we go to? 75% off. Okay, and that's if you guys are like me. Some of you might go, I don't do that sales stuff. You, you don't put up with all the, the mess and the hanging off the hanger like that and everything and laying on the floor. But that's where you find treasures, I think, you know. So you go to those, those kinds of racks. Now, I would never, ever try to teach a regular math class. That would go really, really poorly, okay? But tonight, we are going to have a spiritual math class, all right, as we talk about this word value. And uh, we're going to think about things that are greater than, and we're going to think about things that are less than, and hopefully, 
if you've had some confusion, maybe not with those two symbols that I showed you, but what is greater than in God's kingdom and what is less than in God's kingdom, maybe tonight some of that uh, might get cleared up as we look into this passage that we've been um, looking at. Because if we're really going to build our lives for eternity, we've got to have a clear understanding based on a value based on God's economy system, not this world's economy system. We understand the world's economy system just fine, right? We know that we can go into a grocery store and we see hot dogs and we see steaks and we know which one, uh, which one is of greater value, right? I hope you know which one is of greater value, okay? We know that when we walked in this house on Thursday afternoon, I would imagine for all of us, we went, wow, this is greater than my house, okay? I mean, this is a really amazing place. If we ride down the road and we see two cars, and one of them is a brand new 2016 Lexus, and it's just beautiful, and then we look to this side, and there's a 1996 Dodge Caravan Christmas green with the, with the wood panels on the side, we usually would probably go greater than to the Lexus, right? Now, if that's the car you have, the wood grain panels and stuff, I, I know it's a great, great car. And if you're still driving it, it's got to be a really, really good car. You know, and praise, praise God on that. That's good. Probably any of us, you know, could look at jewelry from a jewelry store, a jewelry from a bubblegum machine, and we know which one of is greater, of greater value, right? I mean, we, we get that. that. That kind of stuff is not confusing to us. And it's not always just the tangible things like that, right? Sometimes it's this location is of much greater value than this location. Or a degree from this university is of much greater value than a degree from, you know, this little teeny community college, right? We, we understand that in our minds, even if we don't say it a lot of times out loud. Or this kind of group of people is of much more value than this kind of group of people. Now, that's not necessarily true, but in our economy system, that's what we tend to think. Or that kind of job is of greater value than this. Or we could point at all kinds of things, and really a lot of that is just blah, 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 right? Somebody didn't, wasn't it you guys had those shirts on, blah, blah? And, yeah, and, and really, that's what a lot of that is. Here in this life of sand, though, we get all caught up in, ooh, this is so valuable. And this really isn't. I really want this because this is so, so valuable. And this really doesn't have much value at all. And we think we've got it all figured out. But it's God's economy a lot of times that we don't fully understand. And a lot of times what happens is we assign a greater than symbol to something that God actually says is less than. And if we're going to build for eternity in God's kingdom, we've got to get this spiritual math all figured out and we cannot have that kind of confusion so I think it would be good for all of us myself included to you know learn some basics of God's economy what to add what needs to be subtracted what multiplies what is truly less than and what is truly greater than so tonight that's what we're going to do as we talk about value and like I said, I'm not a math girl, so I would never attempt to teach a math class. In fact, when I was a teacher, I always said, I'll teach about anything you want except for science and math, okay? And, and, and I never did have to teach a math class, but tonight I'm teaching math, so hopefully I'll be an okay teacher here on this, all right? But we talked about Paul a lot this weekend and how the Lord adjusted his vision, and when God did that, 
As we read a lot about his, uh, his story in the New Testament, we really find that God really taught him some lessons about value. See, when God shines that light on our lives, a lot of things change, even the way we count, even the way we value things. I want you to turn with me over to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Now, this is another letter that Paul wrote, and this one he wrote to the church at Philippi, okay? And I want to read part of that for you that lets us in a little bit on Paul lets us in on knowing a little bit of Paul's story. I'm going to start in the second half of, um, of verse 4. And this is what Paul says. He says, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And for that word confidence, you could say put value in the flesh. I'm in Philippians 3. Thank you. Yeah. I could tell. Y'all going, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Philippians 3, second part of verse 4. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence or value in the flesh, I far more. Paul is saying this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. And you might go, I don't see much value in that. Okay, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Now, all of that might not sound valuable to us at all. But in that culture, those things were very valuable. That would be like somebody going, she's got this and got that and got this and got that, and naming a bunch of things that we would all go, ooh, and ah, to, all right? I mean, Benjamin was the superior tribe in that time. Paul had an elevated position among the Hebrews. He was in the politically correct religious party. And all of that would have been setting him up for a lot of personal and financial um, success. But listen to how he describes all of that, starting in verse 7, now that he's come into this clear vision of eternity and knowing Christ. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, he has a new way of counting. The things that used to be greater than to him are actually now less than because of what Christ has shown him. And if you keep reading in verse 8, he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish, in other words, trash, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul has an upper level eternity math understanding here. He counts all things as loss. Christ is greater to him than any of that now. He understands what's greater than, what's less than. In fact, he doesn't just say less than here and say, okay, Christ is more important to me than this. He says, really? You put Christ and then you put this stuff and this is trash. <laughs> That he's trying to just say it couldn't be any more further of an extreme of greater than and less than. And then he goes on to describe in the same passage where he finds great, great value. What the economy of his soul in the kingdom of God looks like now. And it's a little bit lengthy, but let me read for you, starting in verse 9. He says, I want to be found in him, in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And he goes on to say, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I don't regard myself of having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a shift in the way he has counted things in the past and now. And as we understand this about Paul, we wanted to look at this really as a backdrop to take us back into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to go into our next verses and know that this is what's going on in his heart as he says some things that are, are pretty intense in, in these next few verses, okay? So pick up with me in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, chapter, or, yes, 4, verse 10. We read this verse this morning, but we're going to pick up there. He says, Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Keep going to verse 12. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. We're going to talk about this tonight and just break this apart. But to just summarize it, what we find here, I believe, is that Paul understands a really high level of math, like a math formula that maybe would be called death and resurrection. See, in math, you have a formula that teaches you how to work through a, a math dilemma or a math problem. And what Paul is saying in verse 10 is that we see value in intentionally carrying the weight of Christ's death in our own lives because we know what actually comes from it, and that is life. Life for others, life for ourselves, and really life for the kingdom of God. That's a value that's shaped by eternity not by the world system. And we're going to talk about what that all means. To many in the world, that kind of value would seem like foolishness, right? In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said that to a natural man, a man who doesn't understand the treasure of Christ living inside him, the things of God make absolutely no sense. They can't because Things of God are discerned by the Spirit of God. So to someone who doesn't have the Spirit inside of him, you say something like, we're going to say tonight and work through this math problem and this math formula, and they would go, you're crazy. You're crazy. A natural man would look at any kind of death, these here for you, would look at any kind of death and would say this. They would say, death plus me equals death. Okay? That's the way natural people think. Death plus me equals death. A natural person would look at themselves and say, life plus me, or just look at life, really, and say, life plus me equals, equals life. And so they would then figure this. Death is less than life, so I only want life. All right? And they'll go about life trying to add life into their life in every way that they possibly can and subtract death out of their life as much as they possibly can. As humans, we want absolutely nothing to do with death. 
In fact, we fight it at every turn. And I'm talking physical death. Yes, absolutely, physical death. And we fight that, we do. But there's all kinds of death in our lives that we tend to fight. Let someone threaten us emotionally, we're gonna come out fighting, right? Let, let us have to do without something and not have what we think we, we should have on something maybe we've come to rely on and we're gonna start complaining and whining. You know, let our plans that we're counting on come to ruin and we'll start kicking and screaming. Let us see a wrinkle in our face and what do we do? We run to the store and buy some potion because not me, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna have that. So wh whatever way we're counting, Based on our value system in this world, we just want to subtract death in every way we possibly can, right? And that's because of our understanding of the equation. The one, the equation that actually says, let me make sure I got it here. Number one, death plus me equals death. That's the way we think in our value system here in the world. So we do everything and anything we can possibly do to keep death away from us and to keep adding life in. We just wanna keep bringing as much life and keep death away. And that's a natural response, and it's actually probably, in a very elementary way, a, a right response. We've got a survival instinct, right? I mean, who's gonna just willingly go, give me up, right, and walk right into it? I mean, I know, because you're all looking at me like, does she know what she's talking about? Stay with me, okay, stay with me. It's a very correct response, in a very natural way to say, keep death away from me and bring in all the life that I can. Because God never designed us for death. And so our desire should be for life. Our desire should be for eternal life. And we should have a great dis disdain for death because sin brings what? Death. death. Sin brings death. And we could all go around the room, and we kind of have in some ways this weekend, sharing about the effects of death in our lives. And, and, and the effect that sin has had in our lives and in the lives of people we love. And so we understand all that. And so it's no wonder that we try to subtract death from our lives. And we go, you know, death is less than life. So I only, I only want life. And, and we try to add in life as much as we can. And all that is really, really good and right. But here's what I would say to you. And here's what the Holy Spirit's been saying to me as I've meditated on these verses. That is spiritual elementary math. It's right, it's foundational, but there are higher levels of math to attain to, higher levels of value to attain to and understand and press into if we're going to think and see and build in a place of eternity. How many of us know that math doesn't stop at an elementary level? Now, you might be like me, and you stopped at math at an elementary level, okay, because you just couldn't go any further. But there are higher levels of math that take some higher levels of thinking to process through. Well, there are higher levels of spiritual counting as well that I really believe God wants us to understand and press into and actually live out. Just like calculus and algebra don't make sense on the surface. You go, what? At least that's what I do when, when, you know, when, when I saw them. And they, and they require these challenging formulas to work through in a deep understanding that you have to press into. I think the Holy Spirit is saying to us, look, 
There is, there is that elementary way of counting where you say, you know, not death for me. I don't want anything to do with death. And that's right in a very elementary understanding way. But Paul is talking about something that's a lot deeper here and that we're going to have to press into. And it's absolutely under, essential that we really understand this if we're going to build um, for eternity. We have to use the right formula to really get the level of life that we're really, um, that our souls really desire, that that eternity in us that God put in us. So, so let's let the Holy Spirit understand that, you know, give us understanding of that. There's three steps to this math formula that I would call death and resurrection, okay? And the first one would be adding in and carrying the dying of Jesus. That's your first step in this math problem. And it comes from verse number 10. Paul says, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This step is called adding in and carrying the dying of Jesus. This is a choice that Paul made. And anybody really who joins in that we of eternity living and building has got to decide to make. You know, when somebody carries something... They make a choice to add it to their load and carry it. Even if someone else thrusts it in your arms to carry, you've still got the choice to go, right? Or you're going to bear the weight of it and carry it around with you and exert the energy to do that. So what does it mean to carry the dying of Jesus? Because that's what he says that they're doing. Well, we're going to explain it two ways. First, theologically, okay? And then second, we're going to put it into a spiritual math formula that I think we'll be able to apply to ourselves. So first, theologically, Jesus is God. I know at the table today at lunch, you know, we were talking about how we thought about God in our elementary, or thought about Jesus in our elementary understanding, and then we understood, you know, that Jesus has always been. He was at creation, and, and we were talking about having that, that light bulb moment come on. Jesus is God, and he's always been. One of the names given to him in scripture is, is I am, meaning he has always been and he always will be. Before he was ever born, you know, in a lowly manger, Jesus was in heaven as the creator of the world and he was ruling and reigning in holy perfection. We saw some of that even in Colossians 1, right? When we looked at that on the first day in our devotion. But Jesus chose to humble himself to come to a lowly, broken earth that was weighted down with death and cloak himself in that fragile flesh and have to carry death as well. The substance of eternal life, who is Jesus, put on skin and carried it around and made himself to be subject to death. In fact, the whole reason he came to earth was to carry the weight of death for us, right? That's what he did. That's the whole reason that he came. And he did that out of love for you and me. In fact, we can read it in Philippians 2. Uh, you don't have to turn there right now. I'll just read this for you. But it says, although Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of man, he humbled himself by taking on death or by carrying death, even death on a cross. Jesus chose to carry the weight of death, because that's the only remedy for sin that would work for you and for me and everybody else in, in the world. The payment for sin is death. So Jesus said, I'll carry that 
for you. And he took it on as his own. Not only did he die on the cross, but he lived on this earth for 33 years among sin and death, and he didn't have to, right? He chose to do that. And while he was here, especially during the three years that he was doing ministry, we don't know so much what his life was like before that, but I mean, he suffered, you know, the death of, of rejection and, and the emotional, you know, just upheaval at him all the time and relationships that were being messed up. I mean, he was just walking around in death and picking it up and holding on to people who were sick and dying and picking up death everywhere he went. He carried it around and it was his choice to do. And he chose to do that, to do it, and it was the highest price that was ever paid, the most costly of all. And yet, there's an amazing reward that comes from it for all of us, right? And what is it? The resurrection. That he conquered death. The sting of death is gone. And now he holds the power over sin and death. And what began to happen as he resurrected, many things happened, Jesus began to show us what can happen with death that is given over into his power. He began to open up our eyes if we'd be willing to see what can happen when we take the death that is all around us and in us and hand it to him and work with him and let him bring those things to a resurrection place. Now that's a theological explanation. What about a spiritual math explanation that brings us into the equation, all right? Let's think about it like that. When we accept Christ and the treasure of heaven is literally put on the inside of our vessel, we've got to start seeing things with eyes of eternity. And we, we know that. We've been talking about that all weekend. But you know what? That also includes death. We've got to start to look at death differently. We've got to see death with eternity vision. Physical death and the death of other things as well. In our humanity, we avoid death like the plague. We don't want anything to do with it. And even in our most basic Christian understanding, we know sin produces death. And so we're like, ah, oh, keep it out of my house. Keep it out of my life. I don't want anything to do with death. But as we embrace the eternity that God has put inside of us, we've got to begin to see things like Jesus and not be so afraid of death because we know we have power over death. And so we act like Jesus, we see things like Jesus, and we're supposed to do things like Jesus. So instead of running from death, think about if Jesus had done that. If he had looked down from heaven and said, I'm not going down there. Look at all that mess. Keep it away from me. I only want life. We would never know salvation. We wouldn't have had any of those testimonies to tell today in this room. And we're just a very small part of the body of Christ here in this house, even though it's a big group of women, right? But we're just a very small part. The resurrection that has multiplied, you know, to such astronomical numbers all over this planet, the redemption and the life, resurrection life that has happened because Jesus picked up death is incredible. And we cannot have the attitude of keep death away from me. We've got to be willing to pick it up and carry it and add it to our lives. Now that's a high level of thinking because that's a different way than we think in our culture. And, and not only do people that don't know Jesus go, that's crazy. A lot of times we who do know him go, I'm not doing that. We, we would be like, if Jesus had been like that and said, I'm not going down there, we're like, I'm not doing any of that. 
That's not going to be a part of my life. I'm not going to touch that. I don't want anything to do with that. Now, we're not talking about carrying around our own sin, okay? I mean, basic level understanding in Christianity is, you know, we need to avoid sin. God calls us to be holy. This is not talking about carrying around our own death. That's not what it says, right? It says always carrying about in the body the dying of who? Of Jesus. His death. Jesus never sinned. And we have to remember we're carrying his death. This is a willingness to take on the weight of what sin does in the world and in us and war against it in the power of Christ and his resurrection because we realize and we see I have a surpassing power on the inside of me that always, 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 you know, sometimes in math there's like one answer, like the, the professor or the teacher, there's only one answer. There's only one right answer. And this answer is always brings forth life. And it has to start where? In us. Verse 10 says, Paul saying, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested where? In our body. He's not doing this at this point in the equation for other people. It's about him. He's willing to pick up and carry the death of Jesus in himself. When we read in Philippians, he said he counted it more valuable to fellowship with Christ's suffering and Christ's death than to have accolades and wealth and influence and power and be at the top of the food chain and the culture, right? To be in the middle of what's politically correct and honored and all of that. He said, I want a fellowship with Jesus and his death. And now he's saying he's willing to pick it up and carry it and add it into his life. Jesus died to every single right he had. He died to his comfort. He died to his inheritance. He gave up the glories of heaven so he could willingly come here and carry death. Now, because he's God, an all-knowing God, I believe he always knew ahead of time there's going to be what? <laughs> the resurrection. And that's the same attitude we should have, right? Because we've already been given the answer. We know what the equation, it might look like the equation is kind of bad in the beginning, but we know what the one right answer is always going to be, and it's going to be resurrection. It's going to be life. So the first step in this math formula really has to do with how we think about death. Are we willing to pick it up and carry it when we're given the opportunity to do that? Knowing as bad as it looks that somehow our great amazing God is going to bring forth life from it. He says always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus that the life of Jesus also might be may be manifested in our body. We know it brings life. Or are we going to continue to just look at it from a worldly perspective and say, keep it away from me? Now, in some senses, that's right. But that's very elementary thinking. That's very, like, first grade math. <laughs> and God is calling us, ladies, to grow up. First graders don't build houses, right? You've got to mature to build that, that dwelling place in eternity that God is calling us to do. Paul's attitude... Is, is expressed here in verse 10. 
after he talks about being afflicted, right? Being struck down, being perplexed, being persecuted, and all of those things. So he's talking about a mindset here. Of, of being willing when you see death around you or sometimes when death is literally thrust into your arms. Like maybe you get a diagnosis that's really, really bad. Or you find out something um, has happened in your family and I mean it's just full of the stench of death, right? Of sin, you know? And what is our natural response? Get that out of my life. Why did you allow this in my life? God, I can't believe this. You know, I'm going to fight it. I'm gonna, da, da, da. And I'm not saying necessarily that that's wrong. But also what we've got to be able to do is to pick that thing up and go, okay, God, this is the way this world is. I mean, no newsflash, right? This world is full of the brokenness of sin and death. The ruler of the prince of this world is ruling and he's producing sin and death all around us. So why should we be surprised that we find it in our lives? And so we don't run from it, but we are willing to pick it up and carry it because we have the confidence to know that sin will never win. Death will never have the last word. There will always be life in Jesus. That is high level thinking from a value perspective in Christ. And most people don't think that way. This passage here has been blowing my mind for the last few weeks, you know, and causing me to think differently about some of the things that are coming into my life. No matter what's going on, when you really know the math formula, you know what the outcome will be. And the thing that I like here about Paul is I hear a confidence always caring about in the body. Like, I know who I am. I know how to hit this head on, and I'm going to do that. So whether death is thrust at us or whether we, we just come upon it, we always know that we have the strength and the power to overcome it in Christ and that God wants to use us as his ambassador. And so we pick it up. We don't throw a pity party. We don't wallow in despair. We don't complain. We don't whine. We pick it up. We carry it in faith. And we go, all right, God, show off. Show your stuff. Let me show you off to the world around me. It's a different value system that you place on death. It's not that death is good. It's not like you go, oh, death is, is really good and I want, I want death in my life. But it's a high level value system that calls you to know that Jesus is Lord over death. And here's the thing, that death will really equal life. Death plus me equals life. So I'm willing to pick it up and carry it. Several months ago, I came across um, a, a story about a woman that really showed me this real-life person. Nicole's going to be getting a video for us to watch for just a minute. It's not our movie. It's just a little video we're going to watch, okay? And I was so struck by this person's story because she, and it was really before the Lord had broken open these verses to me. But because of the eternity conversations I've been having with the Lord for a long time and knowing what we were going to be doing here at Fall Bible Getaway and just meditating on different things, I think her story especially really struck me. But she was somebody who picked up death and carried it so well. Her name is actually Bobby Walgamuth. You may have never heard about her. Hers is a story about physical death, actually. And I want to tell you a little bit about her as Nicole gets this ready. She was an incredibly deep woman of faith, and she was married to a man, and his name was Robert Walgamuth. Now, he's a big name in, um, in Christian publishing, 
Uh, he, he represents people like Ravi Zacharias and James Dobson, people, people like that. I had personally never heard of him. But I came across his story, her story and his story because I was on a Bible study website that I use a lot. And how are we doing that? Okay. <laughs> I can see everybody looking at the TV. Just, just listen. Don't worry about that. But um, I, I was looking on this website for something else, and I saw this little thing down the bottom that said, Nancy Lee DeMoss Wagamuth. Now, you might know of Nancy Lee DeMoss. She's written, she leads a big women's ministry called Revive Our Hearts. It's a, she travels all over the world doing ministry. Neat, neat woman. I've followed her a lot. She wrote a book that I've used a lot and I recommend a lot called Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. I mean, great, great woman of God. But Nancy Lee DeMoss, she's probably maybe five to ten years older than me, and she's always been single. And her name is Nancy Lee DeMoss. It's not Nancy Lee DeMoss Walgamuth. So when I saw that, I went, oh, did Nancy Lee DeMoss get married? And of course, I had to start going, sure, let me find out, you know, because I want to know. And I entered into this whole world, I entered into this whole world of, of her story and what had happened. And it's such a story of life. But uh, it's also such a story of death as well. And um, let's watch this, and, um, and then we'll come back, and I'll tell you a little bit more. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that better? My mother had a heart that was as big as the state of Texas. She was so tender and so sweet. Her name was Grace. And my mother was grace in my life. And so, at her knee, when I was four years old, I invited Jesus to come into my life. And I remember it very well. Because I grew up in a home where my mother and dad had a good marriage, I couldn't wait to be married. I remember feeling that way. When my dad would come in from work, my mother would greet him. She would put her arms around his neck, and she would kiss him in front of all of us. So very early in my life, I remember looking at marriage and saying, I can't wait to get married. God brought a very special girl into Robert's life. Her name was Bobby. We married in 1970. I was 22 years old. She was 20. We were kids. God blessed Robert and Bobby with two daughters, Missy and Julie. I loved being the daddy of daughters. Bobby had a beautiful voice. As Missy and Julie grew up, they had beautiful voices. And so we actually could sing four-part harmony. Lord God Almighty. One of the things that we loved to do with our daughters was to encourage them to understand what it might be like to be in the presence of a holy God. So my daughters would tell you today that those early days of getting a glimpse of what God is like by way of their mom and dad, showing them, changed everything about their lives. The Lord was very good to me and gave me the joy of being the daddy and being the husband in this home. I loved it. My life changed on Valentine's Day, 2012. We went to the clinic, MD Anderson in Orlando walk into this waiting room and hear all these women with no hair. And Dr. Shemp said, 
Bobby has stage four ovarian cancer. When she was diagnosed, Missy and Julie and I sat down together and we said, okay, here's what we know for sure. We were surprised, but God wasn't surprised. He knows exactly what he's doing. We're going to treat this as a gift. We're not angry and we're not afraid. And what we want more than anything else is that the Lord be glorified in this cancer. Robert and Bobby did not walk through this trial alone. They shared their burden through regular email updates to family and friends and enlisted the prayers of the body of Christ. I, along with many others who knew and respected and loved this couple, uh, began to pray for the Lord to intervene on her behalf, to give him grace for this journey, whatever that was going to look like. And throughout the course of those two and a half years, Robert was very faithful about updating uh, his friends with what was happening, not only physically and with the sickness, but even more significantly, I think, what was happening in their lives, in their hearts. I watched them facing death in the face and saying, this is not an enemy because of what Christ has done of walking into the jaws of death himself, his gift to us, because of that sacrifice is eternal life. And I watched them facing this with peace. Here's mutual friend, Johnny Erickson Tata, speaking at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in 2013. My friend, Bobby Wogamuth, who is here tonight with her husband, Robert, after six rounds of chemotherapy, all of us who prayed for Bobby hung on her husband Robert's every word in every email. She wrote, Johnny, just as chemo medicine is designed to kill the bad cancer cells, so God designs a toxic, painful trial to destroy and starve and kill anything in my soul that is selfish, unholy, or offensive to him. I willingly surrender to his infusion knowing that he has chosen what will ultimately bring me more abundant life, more abundant life than I can ever imagine. So I choose to open my hands and my heart and offer my veins to be infused with his choice of trial so that I might receive his beauty and his perfect health. Bobby received God's full and perfect health when she passed from earth into the presence of Jesus in October 2014, and God was glorified, just as Robert and his daughters had prayed. Bobby was healed, she went to heaven, and she's all well. But during that time that she was sick, the Lord honored that prayer, and many people came to know Jesus for the first time as a result of Bobby's cancer. You can find more about her online. There are lots and lots of videos to watch. I watched them all. <laughs> I've even watched her whole funeral, which was probably an hour and a half long, maybe even longer. But I found myself going, wow, I wish I had known this woman because what a strength she had in the way she embraced death as a gift and the life that came forth from it. Not only 
eternal life for her, like being realized in heaven. Her family learned to trust Jesus more. As you watch some of these videos, you find that out. Like he said, many, many people came to faith. I mean, they use this as a platform and an opportunity to say that death is not an enemy. Death is a blessing because it actually will bring forth life. And not only that, there's this sweet story of a prayer answered in Nancy Lee DeMoss's life because all her life she's been single. And she embraced that uh, years ago and said, okay, God, this is what you have for me. But there was a desire in her heart to be married. And she was just one of the people that was hearing about all of this because of, you know, um, I think he had represented her as a publisher at some point because she's written quite a few books and things. So she was on those emails and she prayed for them and all of that. And after, a, a long while after Bobby had died, he started to call her and he started to text her a little bit and, and she was petrified and she tells, there's another video where she tells, you know, the whole story. But long story short, now they're married and God is bringing beautiful life out of that, not only to her personally, but it's just life and life and life and life that came out of embracing death. If that had been handled differently, all of that life would not have been. If they had been like, no, 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 we've got to build this life in the sand. We don't want it taken away. Keep it away from us. All of that would have been lost. And yet they had the eyes of eternity to see it differently. God never designed pain and suffering and death, but we chose it in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, yeah, we can say Adam and Eve, but if, you had put, if he had put me there, I would have too. I mean, I can just tell you, I would have too. So I can say we chose it. But God did not back off from that. He picked up that death that we chose, and he carried it because nothing is greater than him, even death. So he took it on, and he won, and he invites us into that eternity. And we have to be willing to add that into our lives and to take it on and not run from it because we know we've been given a vision to see. He's always Lord over it. Whether physical death like this or the death of other things. I think about Dick Woodward. Some of you may know of him. He was the pastor at Williamsburg Community Chapel for many, many years. And he um, got very, very sick. And he's literally paralyzed in a bed, only can move his head. Do you know he could have said, oh, gosh, I poured my life out for Jesus. And this is what he gives me, you know, trying to keep death out of his life. He embraced that and began to teach from his bed, literally only being able to turn his head that way. And out of that whole thing has developed this thing called the Mini Bible College that now he works with a ministry called ICM on. They've developed these little transmitter radios where this can be, I don't understand how it works, but it can be translated into all these languages. And I mean, literally hundreds of thousands of these things are all over the world. This life of the scripture going all over the world while he lays in a bed completely paralyzed, teaching, turning his head. But it's because he embraced the death and really that death gave him a platform in many ways for that to happen. I think about Corrie ten Boom. I mean, she's one of my heroes, you know. I mean, talk about death. She lived through the Nazi regime and all of that. Her family weren't Jewish. They were trying to help. They end up in concentration camps and they embrace the death. Sure, at first she was like, keep it away from me. And then she began to see how God was using the lice because the, there was lice all in the concentration camp, in the, in the beds and everything. But because of the lice, 
They realized, her and her sister realized, that the guards were too afraid to come into the monk room. And so they could sit in their beds at night and share the little pieces of scripture and tell people about Jesus. And life just grew out in these monk rooms because they embraced what had been uh, given to them. I know in my own situation with something that happened in our family, you know, a few years ago, there was a, there was a moment where I said, Literally, I can remember riding down the road and I said, I can either crawl in a hole and die because this hurts so bad, or I can say, I'm going to live and let's see what God does with this and how he brings it life. And even now, God is starting to bring life. And I've seen him bring up new spiritual life in my own life, things that he's been able to teach me and do, things that I've been able to share, people that I've been able to minister to that I would have never understood their hurt before, but now, and a lot of it had to do with just making that decision, you know, to pick that thing up and not run away from it. It's not easy to think of death like this. But I want to share one more thing that the Holy Spirit broke open to me as I meditated on, on this verse about carrying, adding in and carrying the death of Jesus. You know, in math, there's a principle of carrying, right? If you're adding or multiplying in a column and everything adds up to a number, you know, that's, that's greater, that's 10, you know, beyond 10, what do you have to do? You have to carry it forward. Well, the Lord was showing me this as I, as I meditated on this. Sometimes life just gets too much, right? It gets too heavy. We pick up the death and, and we just can't hold it because it, it's, it's greater than we are. We can't take it. And those are the moments that we have to remember. We're not carrying it ourselves. We're carrying the dying of Jesus. We're choosing to do death, right, in his strength, not in our own. So whatever's too much for us, we can just carry it forward into his arms, beyond ourselves, onto his arms that are great in eternity, where there's enough strength, enough hope, enough joy, enough patience, enough peace, enough power. He carried the weight of the world. He can certainly carry the, the little bit of death that he puts in our arms, right, to carry. And if it gets too much for us, we just carry it forward because this is too much for my column, Lord. But he'll do that. He'll step right in and carry that weight. We heard that in some of the testimonies even this morning. But he invites us into the equation so we can experience and minister with him this life to other people. And it actually turns around and ministers life to us. In fact, it's almost like you get to watch it and go, I wonder what kind of life is going to come out of this. And then celebrate around it and you go, oh my goodness, look what God has done. I know on the beach today as we sat there and we were sharing testimony, it was like sharing these testimonies are things that only God could have done. Because the person did not run, but they picked it up and they carried it. And they said, I'm willing to see how God is going to move and work. So we don't lose heart, right? We don't lose heart because we know what the, the formula is going to produce. It's always going to produce the answer of life, the resurrection. That's what verses 16 and 17 say. You know them by now, right? So say them with me, right? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We just keep moving that weight forward. 
beyond ourselves when it gets too heavy, and the glory of Christ's resurrection can bear the weight of it. So that's the first step in the spiritual math formula, okay? It's a big step, adding in and carrying the dying of Jesus. So here's step number two, and it comes from verse 11, and it's subtracting our flesh, okay? In verse 11, it says, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We who live, this is talking about in our day-to-day -day life, going about and doing life. He says we are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Now I want you to notice something about verse 10 and verse 11. This math formula is active in their life all the time. Have you noticed these two words? Verse 10, the word always. Always caring about in the body. So it's not like you can go through life and go, okay, I'll pick up that death, but I'm not having anything to do with that one. All right? And then and get into verse 11, it says constantly. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death. That's a whole lesson right there. We're not going to go to that lesson, but that's a whole lesson right there. Eternity building is an everyday activity. It doesn't just happen on Sunday or Bible study day or the fall Bible getaway weekend. It's always and constantly choosing to add and carry, in verse 10, the way we think about death, what we're willing to do, because sometimes we, we cut it off. We, we, we say, I'm not doing that math, you know. Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't like math. You know, I, I know in my life, like, I specifically, well, this is the only reason I went to Bible college, but at that time in Bible college, you didn't have to take math. So that was one of the reasons I went, because I didn't want anything to do with it, all right? And that's not the only reason. There were some other really dumb reasons, like my boyfriend was at this college and I wanted to go. So um, God has his way of doing things. He still got me into ministry. Those were some of my motivations, okay? But um, God will, he, 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 he works his plans out for us as, as he will. He's definitely sovereign. That is a tangent. Remember we talked about those tangents today? Amber, I just went on one. So here we are, girl. All right. So anyway, but we can go on tangents. We can do those kind of things. We can say, I'm not having anything to do with those math problems or this kind of math equation. But what we need to understand is this is something that's supposed to be going on all the time in our life as it becomes a new part of our value system. So now in verse 11, choosing to subtract the flesh, actually doing the work. Okay? Did you see this phrase, being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake? The original word for that phrase really holds this idea of presenting oneself for a purpose, like showing up for a reason. So this step of the math formula for eternity building looks like showing up continually, day after day, as you're living, saying, here, here I am. Take whatever you need from me so you can see Jesus. I'm willing to give it up. I'm willing to let it go, to die to it, okay? If you need it, you can have it. You can have it for me. Paul actually says this is for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus might be manifested through our mortal flesh. Isn't this so opposite from the value system we live in in this world? Because the value system in this world says keep, guard, get, protect all that you have so you can have more life and enjoy your life and not let anybody take anything away from you and take care of yourself and your people, right? 
The economy that we live in says, get all that you can, make sure that you get the best out of all of it. But this is saying the exact opposite. It's saying constantly show up and give away, subtract yourself from the equation and let other people have what they need. Now again, that makes no sense. Not in our economy, not in our value system. That will equal a sure death. I'm not doing that, that's what we would say. But we have to see that in God's economy, the value system of the world gets turned upside down. I remember hearing a song one time that I think says it well. It says, it is in giving that we receive. That just doesn't make sense, right? It is in pardoning or forgiving that we are pardoned. And then it says, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In God's value system, you actually get more when you die to yourself, when you subtract your flesh. But we live in fear of doing that most of the time. So what does that mean? Constantly being delivered over to death. It's giving up your own thoughts, giving up your own emotions, presenting yourself before the Lord and saying, use me, I surrender all. You don't just sing it, you actually mean it and are willing to live it. I'm here to serve you, God. Now that will look different in every life because we all have different kinds of stories. But in every life, I can guarantee you there's plenty of flesh that needs to be subtracted, right? It's going to look different in every life, but there's plenty of flesh that needs to be subtracted. When we use the word flesh, what we're talking about is a biblical term that's really synonymous with our soul, which is our mind, the way we think, our will, and our emotions. And these three things are the surest way to mess up this step in the math formula. Because we want to think our own way, right? We want to exert our own will and do it the way we think is best. We want to feel however we think we're feeling and we want to justify our actions by our feelings a lot of times. But God says, no, subtract all of that. Subtract the flesh and do it constantly. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. When we do that, and this is not news to any of us, it just stinking hurts. Death hurts. <laughs> It's not easy, it's painful, and Jesus knows that. But we also know this because we have clear vision to see eternity. It's actually going to produce something really, really good. And you have to believe that by faith to be willing to go through the yuck of it. So I wake up in the morning and I present myself to the Lord willing to subtract my flesh because I understand that there's really going to come life from that. I, I get this high-level understanding of this math, and I say, hey, you know, or the Lord says to me, hey, take that money that you're going to spend on those new things and instead you give it away. Or hey, you use that energy to pray for your sister today instead of stewing and being mad and gossiping about her because you're mad at her. Or hey, give me all that time that you're spending on those idle pleasures and, and do this with it, whatever he's asking you to do. Or hey, you know that attitude? Kill it. <laughs> Just get rid of it right now. Or maybe he says, hey, you see that person over there? It's kind of awkward and, and you're not really comfortable around. Will you go sit with her? Because she's really lonely and she feels awkward. Or, hey, would you speak up for my name in those conversations that keep coming up? Or get up in the morning an hour earlier to pray. 
Stop eating all that extra garbage and stop talking like this. And the Holy Spirit all day long is going, hey, 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 hey. You know, do you hear him like that? I do. And what he's usually saying is subtract the flesh. Get it out. But realize the answer that's going to come from that is actually life. Whatever he tells us to subtract, he's really saying, I want to give you more. It doesn't make sense. But we've got to be able to see with the eyes of faith. So whatever we, he says, we look at verse 11 and we realize that the life of Jesus is going to actually get manifested. It's going to start showing forth, not only for other people to see, but for us to see. And it happens in our mortal, our mortal flesh. Just these fragile vessels, God puts his power in and brings forth this life when we obey him and let go of the flesh and subtract it. Over and over again, and certainly not just here, Jesus tells his followers, die to yourself. Pick it up, that death. Die to yourself. Die to your thinking. Die to your feelings. Die to your desires. It's hard to do, but we have to do that if we really want to build for eternity. And when we do, we'll see this eternity outcome that makes no sense to our natural minds. Death does not actually equal death. Death equals life. That is a high-level math concept in the spiritual realm. And most people don't understand that. But we who see with eyes of eternity, we can, we can see this. And I can tell you from personal experience, there's many times that he tells me, subtract the flesh, and I say, no, I don't understand that math. <laughs> when I really do. I, I play dumb, right? And I know you do that too. And that's why I share it with you, okay? I feel like I can. But when I, when I willingly, you know, carry the death of shutting my mouth, and I subtract my mouth to being offended, or subtract my right to being offended, God brings life out of that a lot of times, of knowing his, his love in a deeper way, in a richer way. And I mean, I could go through many scenarios of things when I subtract my flesh, how he brings, how he brings life. So we've added, right? We've added and carried in the dying of Jesus. We've subtracted the flesh. What's the last step? Well, it's what, what the answer is. It equals life. It actually equals life. Read verse 12 with me. So death works in us, all right, but life in you. And Paul's writing this to the Corinthians. Okay, we're willing to, we're willing to pick up this death. We're willing to carry it around. We're willing to subtract the way we feel and want to do things. And we know that you're going to actually get life. That's the math equation for their situation. So it might look a little different for yours, but it's still the same formula. You add in and carry the dying of Jesus, you subtract your flesh, and then it equals life. It equals life. And Paul wants us to know it's not just life for them or for ourselves, it's life for beyond what we can imagine. I don't think we'll see fully until we get, until we get to glory. We get life and others get life. And many times we won't even know how much. And a lot of times, or tonight, the movie that we're going to watch, you're going to see even more than that. And we'll, we'll talk about that some more. But he's writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, we've done this for you and we want you to understand the life that's going to come from it. And I think as we get to read this and be the onlookers to it, we can see, hey, I could work this same math formula in my own life as I see with eyes of eternity and see what God, God can do. So what about us? Do we understand that kind of value system? Let me read verses 13 through 15 quickly. 
and we're going to move out of this and on to um, what we're going to do for the rest of the evening. But it says, but having the same spirit of faith, According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Paul's quoting a writer that wrote one of the Psalms who was basically saying, okay, this is what I believe, so I'm going to say it. And basically that's what he's saying. Look, this is what I believe. This is what I know that I know that I know. It makes no sense, but I know that I know. And he's quoting this Old Testament writer to say, this is what I believe, so I'm saying it out loud. I'm writing it down. If you will follow this kind of math formula, you're actually going to get life. And Paul is just like, this is what I believe. But then he also says, this is what I know. In verse 14, it says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. He's just speaking with confidence. I believe it. I know it. And then in verse 15, he says, For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. He's willing to live it out. He believes it. He knows it. He's willing to believe it out, to live it out. It's an eternity mindset. It's an eternity value system. It's a high way of living that will produce true life. I personally believe the reason that I myself and many other Christians don't build for eternity sometimes, is that we don't really understand what life really is. We put greater than symbols towards this world than towards eternity. We put greater than symbols towards enjoyable experiences and the absence of pain and what kind of possessions we can acquire and what kind of honor we can build up. And we place this greater than symbol on all those things, but none of those things our true life. They're blessings in life. They're good things in life. They're things that we can enjoy and bless other people and use them for the glory of God, but they're not life. The greater than life is the life of Christ because only Christ can fill your heart with love, can cover you with peace, can spring up joy on the inside of you that makes no sense, can make you brave, can give you confidence, can give you identity, can fill your mind with light and wisdom and holy pleasures that bring the deepest kind of satisfaction that you can't even give words to. His riches are more valuable than anything we can buy or store up or wear or display, but we have to step into the we of eternity building and practice this more math formula before we'll ever experience any of that kind of life. The spiritual math formula, it's, it's not hard, really. It's easy to, to understand if we'll see with the eyes of the Spirit, add and carry in the death of Jesus, subtract our flesh, and arrive at places of resurrection life that will blow our minds and will really be a, an ambassador of the gospel of Christ. It's not easy, but it's worth it, and it will last. It will never wash away. In a moment, we are going to watch a movie, and we're going to take a quick break before we do that and get dessert, um, but I want to take just a minute to give you a little intro into this movie before we do. Several of you have seen this movie before, but most of you have not, and even if you've seen it before, it's one of those movies that you could watch over and over and over again, and I know it would touch your heart every time. I've seen it many, many times, and it's one of those movies that I make a commitment to watch at least once a year because I need to watch it to reset my heart. I, I, I just feel like it's really important. It's not just any movie. Um, it's actually a presentation by a church, and I will tell you, 
there are a few cheesy places in it, okay? But it is so profound, you can get over the few cheesy places, okay? And cheesy is really relative to what your perception is anyway and what you think is cheesier or what's not. So some of you may go, there was no cheesy in that. And really, it will just gloss over those parts because the story is so profound. And more than that, it illustrates a strong biblical teaching that is not often taught yet it's so important for us to know. And it will inspire you and cause you to see with eyes of eternity. The Lord brings this up in my mind all the time. The movie's actually called The Bama Seed. If you were here at the first year of the Fall Bible Getaway, we showed it then. And we, we really debated, should we show it or, again or not? But it just went so well with what God wanted to speak this, this year that we just felt like we had to. And because we know it's so valuable to watch it several times. But let me, let me lay a foundation for you so you understand as you go in. Okay? Someone shared it with me several years ago as an audio thing that you can listen to online, and it had such a big impact on me, and then I, I watched it, and I just knew it would really have a big impact tonight about value. Um, it's really, this movie has been such a big part of the eternity conversation God's been having with me over the years. So, so the background, the Bama Seat, you might be going, Bama Seat, what in the world is that? The Bama Seat is the term for judgment seat in the Bible, Okay. As Christians, we know we're not going to be judged for heaven or hell. Jesus already took on that judgment for us. Praise God, we've got a reservation in heaven, right? We know that's where we're going. But many times we miss the truth that as Christians, we're going to still be judged at a place in heaven called the Bama Seat. Now, the Bama Seat in biblical times in towns was a raised platform in the center of town where the elders of the town would sit and they would deliver um, rewards like honors for deeds done well or you know a athletic competition or a civic honor or those kind of things it was a it was not a place of punitive judgment like you're in trouble it was a place of let's bless you and honor you for the things that that have happened and it sat in the middle of the town and the elders did this well, Paul actually uses this word several times in, in some of his letters. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, right after we, where we're studying, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That word for judgment is the word bema, okay? And, and Paul is saying, you're going to have to appear before Jesus, and he's going to judge your deeds, you know, were, were they good deeds or were they bad deeds? Not to say, okay, you're going to hell, but to say, did you, did you do anything that really has any eternal or lasting value? And we know that because we go to another passage that I want to actually read for you in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to what he says. It's this powerful passage, and it will help set this, up, this movie up for you. Starting in verse 11, it says, for no man can lay any foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We said that on Thursday night, right? The rock that we want to build on. He says, now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day, meaning like the judgment day, will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through the fire. Paul is telling us that when we arrive in heaven, we're going to appear before the Bama seat, before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to be there waiting for us. 
And what did we do with the eternity of life that has been placed inside of us? Where did we build? With what kind of things are we bringing with us? Now, you've probably always been told, you're not bringing anything. Well, yes, you are. There are things that you do in this life that have eternal value. Those are the things like the gold, the silver, the jewels that would last through the fire. Things of wood, hay, straw, they're going to burn up. And they won't show up with you there in heaven. They won't be there. All right? So those temporal things, those things that will wash away or be burned up, are not going to be there. The things that are represented by the gold, silver, and jewels, those spiritual things that you did, things that last for eternity, in, in, will show up there. So we've been talking about building all weekend. Are we building on the sand or are we building on the rock? And tonight what we're going to do is allow this movie to show us the beauty or the loss of our building choice. And the wonderful thing is that this movie will probably help us to even more so go, it's much better to build for eternity. So the choice of how to look at things, our vision, of how to view ourselves with God's treasure, our vessel, and how to operate in God's economy, what does our value system look like, will determine the quality of life we're going to actually have beyond this life. It will determine what blows up, burns up, not blows up, what burns up and never shows up in eternity and what actually will. So that's just a little bit of the backdrop of the movie we're going to watch. So 